welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I've got a message I want to share with you tonight. And it's, a, it's an interesting message because it will affect every one of us. And something I might say to you tonight may even offend you. But then you, <laughs> but then you can put into practice what I'm going to be sharing about. And you'll have it, you'll have it nailed. You'll have it knuckled down and you'll, have it, you'll be on top of it. Can you take your Bibles, please, if you have them with you, or look to the screen. And you'll see I'm turning to Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. And it says, it says this. He said to his disciples... It's inevitable that stumbling blocks, that's one word used, another word's offences, that stumbling blocks or offences will come. But woe to him through whom they come. Stumbling blocks will come. Jesus looked his disciples in the face and said, fellas, I gotta tell you something. Stumbling blocks will come. Offences will happen in your life. They will enter into your circumstances. And then he goes on to share a bit more about it. But before we go on and have a look at a bit more of this, I want to take you back because this passage of Scripture comes after a bit of a discourse that's been going on. And I want you to see the, the importance that Jesus levies on this piece of scripture. I want you to see it's not just a throwaway comment. It's not just something that you can say, oh, well, that's a bit of the Bible I don't have to underline. One of the worst things we do, you know, is underline our Bible. And then we only read the bits we've underlined. You know, my favourite bits. Yeah, the bits in between are the bits that give the bits we've underlined their real oomph and power. And you need to read the whole passage. You need to read the con you need to get it in the context so that you can actually feel the weight and strength of what it is that Jesus is saying. Or whatever biblical reader, whether it be Paul or Old Testament, you need to get the context of what they're saying. By all means, have your precious promises. I love them. I've got some too. But mark, read your read the Bible both sides of what you've already marked. So we're going back to chapter, verse 14, chapter 16, verse 14, and where it, says, where it says these things, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time there because I don't want to keep you here all night, although with some of these things we probably could. Verse 14, it says, Now the, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. Plenty of people out scoffing today. There are plenty of scoffers. Don't let them worry you. Don't be put off by scoffing. Scoffing actually reveals that they don't understand the full import of the subject. They don't have the knowledge to embrace the subject or understand the real depth of what is happening in a person's life. Scoffing, scoffing is a very pathetic way to respond to some attitude or some activity in life. Watch out for it. Verse 15 says, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your heart. You want to underline something? Get your pen out, underline that right now. 
You know, push the underline button on your, on your iPads or your, or your phones there and underline that. God knows the heart. It wouldn't matter if they turned the lights out here and we went pitch black here right now. God still reads your heart. You will never escape from your heart. You will never escape from a God who knows your heart. And the wonder of it is that even though He knows my heart, He still loves me. I'm just stupid enough to think that sometimes I can hide from myself. And, and sometimes we do. We talk ourselves in and out of things and we hide from ourselves. We think, oh, I can get away with that. I can do that. And God sits up there and He looks. He says, I can see what's going on. And this big smile comes across His face because He knows how stupid I'm being. And He knows at the end of it, I'll come to my senses and I'll front up. God knows our hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The things that we hold as primal, the things that we hold with priority, the things that we uh, give credit to, God says, what's that? I can make streets of gold if I want them. I just speak it. I don't even have to dig up the gold. I just say, I want streets of gold. It's there. I want things to change. It's there. Jesus stood in the front of the boat and said, peace, be still. They all calmed down. There's another verse in, in John chapter 6 and verse 20. It says that immediately Jesus got in their boats. This is a key for someone here tonight. Immediately they saw Jesus in their boat. They were at the land. You check that. John chapter 6 and verse 20. Immediately, if you can see Jesus in the midst of your circumstance, your need, your problem, your difficulty, your joy, your happiness, your uh, mission experience, if you can see Jesus there with you, immediately you'll have the answer that you are needing or desiring at that moment. You'll be at the finish line. You'll be there immediately, the Bible says. No hanging around, no waiting, you're there. Scripture says that to us. Jesus knows what's in our hearts. Let's move on. Like I said, I could stay here for quite a while. Verse 16 says, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God never left himself without a witness at any point or at any time. He always had a prophet somewhere. Even when Elisha threw his hands in the air and said, I'm the only one. God said, I got 700 others. I got 700 others. There's always a prophet in the land. There was always something that God was doing, saying. There was always something that he was bringing forward. The law and the prophets you had all from creation. It's all there. But in these last days, you've had the preaching of the kingdom of God. Now the preaching of the kingdom of God is where God is dwelling. And when we preach the kingdom of God, we preach that in my life comes the kingdom and in this life and through this life, the kingdom of God is ruling and reigning. It mightn't be reigning and ruling in the, in the house next door, but in this house, in this body, in this life, in this circumstance, the kingdom of God is present. 
He takes authority over sin and sickness. He takes authority over the things that distress us. And He can give you joy in the midst of mourning. The Bible says that. He'll give us joy for our mourning. The only thing we have to mourn about is our resistance to Him, our lack of response to His love, the sins that we have done, or a better word than sin, because we don't really understand, our rebelliousness to God's ways. We understand rebellious. And we know what it feels like when you're driving your car and suddenly you hadn't noticed. It's crept up a bit. And then right beside you, a police car comes. And you all have it, that sinking feeling like, I'm caught now. And he just drives on because he's not going to ping you for being 3K over the speed limit. He's on a more important mission than you. But what was that sinking feeling that you had in your heart? That was because you were right at that moment, you were being rebellious to the law. And sin in our lives is simply us being rebellious to what God has planned for us to do and His ways. And it says here that everyone is forcing their way into it. Does that mean they're taking up arms? Does that mean they're pushing? Does that mean they've just got to be really strong? No, it means that you've got to step away from, from sense knowledge and you've got to become a person who dares to trust God and use their faith. Yeah. Say, God can't see you, but I know you're there. I can see what you've done already. I can see what you've done in Jesus. I can see what you've done in His. I can see what you've done in other people's lives. But you see, it's a step of faith to, for you to dare to believe that He will do it in your life as an individual. And that's entering into the kingdom and taking it by force because you have to take a step outside natural sense knowledge. And that's taking it by force. That's stepping into an unusual, an unknown area and stepping out with God. Let's look at another one here. Man alive. It says, this, this, you can see that this discussion has been going on. There's some strong things being talked about here. Verse 17 says, But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke. And in the Hebrew language, it's done with strokes and it's crosses and sort of funny H's and dashes and dots and all that sort of thing. So with one stroke of the law can't pass away. It's easier for heaven and earth than the law. So the law of God is not changing, but what God has done in His grace and love is He said, you can't do it, but I'm going to put someone on earth who can, and He's going to do it in your place. And then all you have to do is he believe that He did it in your place, and you'll be free. You will get who He was, and He's taken what you were away. That's wonderful. And in verse 18, he says, Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. That's a strong word. Now, now, we don't need another hour on that verse. We need about three days. And I'm not going to go there tonight. But are you getting the point some guys were divorcing their wives because they didn't put enough peanut butter on their toast. <laughs> Darling, you've lost that peaches and cream complexion you used to have. 
That's a joke because we're talking about a Mediterranean country. They're all a bit darker. <laughs> but some people were divorcing for all sorts of crazy reasons. Yeah. Who put the chewy in the toilet? Divorce you, woman. You're out of here. Who let the toilet paper run out? Hey. hey. Sorry, that's an insider joke. Let's move on. Verse 19. I, am I, um, is there someone out there who just says, I must go home and read a bit more about that? Have, have I stirred something within you? Are you, are you not just going to sit there and look at me all night and say, well, that's good, yeah, preach on there. You know, are you going to go home and say, wow, I, I really got to go and look at that verse again. I really got to search that out. I really got to do some more study. Come on. I'm interested in you getting into the Word of God. I'm interested in you letting the Word of God rule your life. I'm interested in you letting God speak into your life through His Word. This is where the eyes of Jesus see me. It's in His Word. This is where I feel the heartbeat of Jesus. It's in the Word. This is where I, this is where I understand my God in His Word. So I want to encourage that. Boy, you need to do it. Do it for me. If you don't do it for yourself, just do it for me. Get me off your back. Just do it for me. And so in verse 19, Jesus tells this wonderful, and this is a great little parable. Verse 19, it just starts and says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyous living and in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus who was laid at his gate covered with sores. It's a great parable. Great parable. Great story to read. But it's dealing with issues of heaven and hell. It's dealing with issues of life and death. It's dealing with issues of eternal states. It's dealing with the laws of sowing and reaping. It's dealing with a final warning. It's not just some simple... <coughs> Excuse me. That jolly cockroach. <laughs> the revenge of the cockroach. It's dealing with, wish, with issues that are weighty. It's dealing with issues that are, are worthy of understanding and respect and research and looking at and letting them meditate in your life. And in verse 31, he says, uh, someone said to him, you know, but uh, things could happen. He says, but... He said to him, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. And there's people today who say, oh, well, if Jesus sort of appeared in front of me, I might believe. Even though he's risen from the dead, they choose not. See, I told you that the kingdom of God was being taken by by." Violence, by, by storm, by activity, by exercise of faith. It's not just going to be a mental adjustment. It's not going to just be a mental uh, appreciation. There's going to come a point of faith in it. There's going to come a point of heart reaction in it. There's going to come a point where the Spirit of God touches the Spirit that's in you, that gives you life. And He creates faith in us for us to dare to believe what He's done for us and say for us. And so in that, in that framework, in this, in this context, in this discussion, Jesus now comes to verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 1, 
and he says to his, now to his disciples, he was talking to the Pharisees, he was talking to the crowd. Now he turns around and he looks at his disciples and he says, fellas, I want to tell you something. It is inevitable that offences will come. It's inevitable that things are going to happen to you that's going to upset you. It's inevitable that stuff is going to occur that you need to know how to deal with effectively and properly. And so he begins to share this. There's an interesting little play here on words for us. I love that song we sang tonight. It says, The Scandal of Grace. The word for offences here, or, or that's translated stumbling blocks in some, in some uh, scriptures, is actually the word scandalon, the Greek word scandalon. And it actually, it actually talks about, it's actually descriptive of a trigger point inside a trap. I've got a little YouTube to show you right now about this. Now we're going to see it once through fairly fast, and then we're going to slow it down and you'll have a bit closer look at it. Thank you. Let's look to the screens. I want to pat it. <laughs> okay, did you see what happened? Let me tell you what happened. Here we go in slow motion. Oh, see it pecked then? Did you see it pecked sideways? <laughs> Bang. You know, that pigeon was just in... Let me say this, no pigeons were hurt in the making of this illustration. Immediately released, it was just for the purposes of our understanding. The word we're looking at is scandalon, scandalous, we get our English word from. It's a scandal that people can get caught this way, but let's look at what happens. In that little trap, there's a little stick that's resting on, 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 a, on the, the stick that's supporting the box. And that stick has some bait on it, some, something that's very tempting and very tasteful. And that pigeon's just pecking around. Well, I'm just enjoying all the ground here. Just pecking, peck, peck, peck. Just enjoy. You go through life pecking at things, don't you? You peck at some things you perhaps shouldn't peck at. You get yourself in places pecking at things sometimes you shouldn't be there. Come on, I know, I'm human, I've lived there too. There's a side, there's a, there's a, rack, there's a, a rack in the magazine shop, in the, in the newsagent. I, I don't go down that side. I don't need to go down, and it's not the women's, it's not the, not women's weekly and women's day, it's not that rack, it's the other rack on the other. I don't go down that, young men, I'm talking to you tonight. You do not need to go down that rack in the newsagency. And if you've got access to a computer, and most of us have, there are certain things sometimes that pop up or you find or you discover or get there. You do not need to look at them. When you're walking down a street and a young lady is walking towards you, when you see her coming, you think, wow, she looks good, and you look away to watch where you fit her, and then you, if, don't go back for the second look. Leave it alone. The first look is just, it's in, the, it's in the parameters of your vision. You've seen her. 
Don't go back for the second look. It's easy not to go back. It's easy just to keep looking the other way. If you go back and start to look, then your mind starts to say, oh, wow. I might dwell here for a while. I might think about these things for a bit. And what you're doing is you're pecking closer and closer to the baited trap. And as you're pecking around, you look, oh, look at that bit up there. That's so nice. (laughs) Bang. You're done. You're done. It's got you. I like fishing. I want you to know I have fed a lot of fish. But I've caught a few too. I think sometimes fish are more intelligent than the humans on the other end of the line. You see, if you really want to be a good fisherman, you need to disguise your hook. Because the fish can see some nylon nylon traces in the water and the fish can see a glint of nice silver hook. They see that unless they are overcome by their fleshly senses and dive in on the bait anyway, they'll swim away. And there's a baited trap that waits for us. And if we get caught up in it, it can cause us great difficulty. John Bevere has written a book called The Bait of Satan. If you haven't read it, if you want some reading, get a hold of it and read it. Get a hold of it and read it. It will do you good. It will share some truths with you. He says in that book, he says, that offense in itself is, is not deadly, but it's when we pick it up and feed on it, consuming it in our hearts and our emotions. When we take it to heart and we really let it begin to work in us, If I haven't done it yet already, I probably will do it and I apologise in advance. But if you get offended because I don't do what I'm about to say I'm going to do, if you get offended at it, please, please, don't run away in an offended state. Please come back and see me and do what the rest of the scripture tells you to do and we'll work it out together. But someone will call me, someone will speak to me, someone will ask after me. And I, in my humanity, just may forget. I may just get busy. I got asked to do something this morning. And uh, I got waylaid by other circumstances. And I I arrived at the table quite late. I was getting there, but it just took me quite a while to get there. And it's possible for that person, and that person could have become offended that I didn't arrive there as quickly as I should have done, or could have done, or they thought that I should have done, or they presumed that I might have done. You see, we can get offended any which ways. We are just crazy people because our basic problem is we think we are the centre of the universe. And anything that crosses being the centre of the universe is going to upset me. The best thing you can find out and you can discover is you're part of God's creation and that God loves you. But he is God. He's God. And he's the one. He's the center of these things. Let me say, let me tell you what happens. 
Offended people can produce fruit, or fruit, this fruit is produced in their lives, such as hurt, anger, outrage, strife, jealousy, resentment, bitterness, hatred, envy. All that stuff. Sounds good, doesn't it? If you had a car that had that stuff in it, you'd sell it straight away. You wouldn't want it any longer. But what are those things caused? And what's the result of those things? What's the consequences of those attitudes being in our lives? Let me tell you what they are. They lead to insults. They lead to attacks. They lead to woundings. They lead to divisions. They lead to separations. They lead to broken, broken relationships, betrayals, and for the Christian, backsliding. All that stuff. Because I've taken on an offence. I was pecking in the wrong place and I pecked and I got caught. I got trapped and I got drawn in and I can't get out. And listen to this. Sometimes the Holy Spirit even convicts you about some of these things, about an offence you're carrying. I've got this little offence here. Do you want to hear about my troubles? I'll tell you about all my troubles. And we regurgitate this garbage. And that's what it is, garbage. We regurgitate it because now it's festering and it's horrible and it's getting messy and it's poisoning your system. And when we regurgitate it, if the person we're talking to doesn't put the right set of headphones on, doesn't tune it in or tune it out, we can affect them as well. And we can pass it on. And the Holy Spirit convicts us that we should get rid of this stuff, that we should deal with it according to the Scripture. Let's go because I'm fast. That clock, I don't know. I'm going to have to do something with that clock. It says this here. <laughs> Chapter 17, verse 1 says, it's inevitable. So that means it's going to happen. But you just have to be ready for it and do the right thing. But woe through whom they come. Woe, woe is a bad thing. Woe, woe is mean you're in trouble, buddy. You're in trouble. Woe to the person who causes this. So this is a warning. If you're carrying an offence and you try to strengthen your position by engaging someone else in the offence with you, the Bible says, woe to you. There's a problem for you. And then Jesus, you've got to see the gravity of this, it, the weight of this. He says, it would be better for that person if a millstone were hung around their neck and before they can do any more damage... They'd be dropped in the ocean and they die. Now, it's not talking about a, 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 an inside utensil. The millstone that's being described here is the kind that you have got a picture of from Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern Asia or, or where, the, where the, an animal would turn two giant stones over the top, the to, turn the top stone over the bottom stone. And what they would do is the, the bottom stone was shaped in a conical fashion and it had a hole in the middle and they would pour a bag of grain into the middle and as the animal turns the big stone, the grain feeds out and is slowly crushed and reduced to powder. He says, one of those stones, that'll do it. That should take you down about as quickly as anything we've got. Jesus says, it's better for you to be taken down. It's no wonder Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says in the, and I, I've never really, I've really grappled with this, in the middle of it, describing the communion in church with my brothers and sisters, he says, but there are some of you who are weakly and sick and some have even died. Wow, what's that got to do with communion? I thought communion was about life. I thought communion was about forgiveness. 
He says, yeah, but some of you have been hanging on to stuff that's poisoning your system. And even though you're saved, you're being poisoned. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to let it go. It's got to go out of your life. Let's look here. It's better than the little ones. The little ones were... The little ones were the, the, the children of Israel, the, the, the kingdom at that, the people at that time that Jesus had come to minister to. Verse 3, it says, be on your guard. He's talking to his disciples. He's not talking about the, the guys down the street. He's not talking about the robbers. He's not talking about that, you know, that bad street. He's not talking about the situations where you expect to be mugged or robbed. He, he says to the Christians, he says, well, to his disciples, be on your guard. Be alert. Be ready. Don't go to sleep on me, guys. And then he says this, if your brothers, and, and the word if kind of implies when. Yeah, yeah. When your brother sins, because it's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to do something. I apologize to you now. Yeah. Let, let me be right up front and say, I, I apologize. I apologize to you already. Yeah. I don't think I've even done it yet, but I apologize because I don't want to be an offence to anyone. I don't want to cause an offence. I don't want to be involved in offence. I don't want to be part of an offence. I don't want to be part of that program. I don't want to be part of that process. I want to be free from it. I want to live for God. I want God to let His love shine through my life. So it says this. Verse 3. If your brother sins, don't run away. Don't go hide. Don't not saying he, if your brother sins, rebuke him. In other words, go and have an honest conference with him, a discussion with him and say, look, when you did this, it, it touched me this way or it affected me like this. I don't want us to lose our friendship. I don't want to lose the communion that we have through the body of Christ. I want us to have a loving relationship, a strengthening relationship, a, a, a relationship that's growing stronger. I want to see the body of Christ getting stronger and stronger, not being broken down because I simply can't get something right with you. Don't take it to heart. Don't become offended. Don't become vengeful, reactionary, angry, bitter, poisoned and poisoning. It's too easy to cut and run. Be brave. Oh boy. God often asks you to do the simple things, but sometimes they're the things that make you step out of the boat. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Pete, why don't you come out here and walk on the water with me? Could you just, oh, for one second, can you imagine what was going through Peter's mind? I'm a fisherman. We don't walk on water. The only things that get on with water are fish. Hey, something else you can have a look at. Maybe another time we'll come back to that. Be on your guard, he says. If he repents, if when you rebuke this person, he says, oh, look, I'm sorry. I had no idea that that was going to cause, I, 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 look, I was, I was angry. Look, my car had a flat tire and I was really, really turned out about it because I had just a new set of tires on the car and I'm really, really quite burned and really quite churned about it. I'm really sorry that I said these things that have now created an offence. I'm sorry. The Bible says, if he repents, here's the key, forgive him. Forgive him. If he repents, 
forgive him. I can hear someone saying, but how do I know that it's true repentance? Go on, you Pharisee. You've never done anything wrong? Come on, give me a break. I might look like it, but I can tell you, I might be wet, but I didn't come down the last shower. Verse 4 says, if he repents, oh sorry, if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, what did Jesus say? Get angry? Get upset? Keep score? Forgive him. Forgive him. Hey, here's the bottom line. If someone comes to you and says, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry for what I've done, I ask your forgiveness. I I repent. And you grant that forgiveness to that person. Just like for you with Jesus, it's as though they never sinned. It's not about keeping score. That's once, that's twice, that's three times, that's four, five. It's not about keeping score. It's about if someone comes to you and says, hey, look, I'm sorry, I really didn't mean that to happen. If they've been brave enough, if they've had the faith to come and ask for your forgiveness, grant it. Give it to them. Release them. Don't let them get caught in a scandalous trap. Let them go. Jesus being crucified on the cross without justice, without just a a sense of, he didn't need to die on the cross for himself. The guys beside him, yes, him, no. One of them says, there's something good about this man. The other one says, nah, forget it. You've heard what they've said about him. One's having faith created in him and one is dying in his sins. Did Jesus become offended at what was happening to him? Did Jesus take an offence at the Roman soldiers? Did Jesus take offence at the the scribes and the Pharisees who were there? Did Jesus take offence at your sin and my sin that was there? Did Jesus take offence at these men who had lived lives of being Cruel people and sinners, all their, did Jesus have an offence? No. He turned to this man, he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. I forgive you. I forgive you. Verse 5 says, and the apostles, what were they called in verse 1? Thank you, disciples. My little disciple in the front row got that so quick. In, the, in, in, in verse 1, chapter 17, they're called disciples. And now here, four, verse, four verses later, they've been called apostles. There's something about growth here going on. There's something here about a dimension of God working in our hearts and in our lives that's taking us from a range where as a disciple we're following and now as an apostle we're being sent out. See, there's growth here. You can miss this and you can stay the way you are. Or you can catch this. And you can grow in your Christian experience. 
Jesus can't use you any more than what you have fully surrendered to Him. I'm going to say that again. Jesus cannot delegate more to you than what you have in your life surrendered to Him. And if you and I hang on to the odd bits and pieces, oh Lord, you can have my living room, that's great, but don't touch the closet under the stairs as that's where I hang on to my secret things. You have His life that will fill the living room, but you're going to be missing the dust and musky smell and the poisons that come out of that closet. And tell me, I, I will tell you, I'm 64 years of age and I can tell you that if you hide stuff in the closet, it eventually gets out. It poisons your thinking. It takes away the joy of living. It upsets your balance. Here's the sad part is some people are so hung on to things that they think the way they're living now is normal. This stuff has become so embedded in their lives that they think the way they are now is the way everybody is. And God said, I don't want you like that. I've come to release you. And so finally these apostles say, increase our faith. Man, man increase our faith. And that's the story of the whole Christian life is that we are all to grow in faith. That I take more of the trust off myself and I put more of the, my trust in Him. And the more trust I take off myself and the more trust I place in Him, the more I find that He opens doors for me, He opens avenues of service for me, He opens unexpected things for me. Why, I had a flat tire driving home from the men's breakfast. Oh, it was a sad thing. It was a flat tire. I pulled up beside the road, got my tire out, got the jack out. Couldn't find the jack handle for a while, but I eventually found that. And I'm there in not these pants, but a nice pair of dress pants. And I'm thinking, I've got to get down on the ground now and get underneath the car to get this jack there. And I'm just contemplating that. And there's a, I had a, an Ikea shopping bag. Not mine, it wasn't my shopping bag. But I had an Ikea shopping bag in the back of the car. So I folded that put it on the ground, put it to good service. I was about to drop to my knees. That's a good place to be, on your knees. In prayer, that is. I was about to drop to my knees to uh, get under the car to put the jack in. And a car pulled up behind my car. A young guy jumped out of the car. Younger guy, probably about 30-odd, came up to me. He said, you okay? I said, Yeah of a flat. He said, yeah, I see that. Can I help you? Sure. Go for it. He got on his knees straight away. I was ready to bless him. He got on his knees and did the jack. But here's the, my jack wouldn't lift my car because of the lay of the land, wouldn't lift my car high enough. He went back to his car. I felt like the good Samaritan. He said, I'll go back and get what I need. And when I come again, I'll fix it right up for you put the, his jack underneath the back swinging arm and lifted the swinging arm up enough so we could get the tire full of air on the, on the back. I said, thank you very much. He said, that's okay. 
I said, I want to give you something. He looked at me. I said, I want to say thank you for stopping by and helping me. I put my hand in my pocket and all I had was 10 bucks. I gave him the $10. I said, thank you. Thank you for stopping on the side of the road and doing something. But you know, there was something in that moment. Something happened in that moment. God can open all sorts of doors for you and for me. There's a motel down the road going to be blessed this Friday night because my wife is going to stay there and I'll be with her and they'll be blessed. Maybe other people staying there too, I don't know. Who are coming to conference that is, I'm sure there are others there. God's a good God. He wants to increase our faith. You may be tonight be one of those, you may be tonight be one of those persons. You're on your road from discipleship to apostleship. We're all there. We're all on that road. It's not a strange place to be. We're all growing. And upon all our hearts should be the words, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. Help me. Help me. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.